0: Hello, welcome to the Westside podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. This week, on, on Friday morning... Um, Jen and I were up. We kind of have this morning ritual of having our our coffee. We experience the Spirit of the Lord through a cup of coffee uh, first thing uh, in the morning, and then uh, a little time uh, just like reading and getting centered uh, for the day. And um, Jen had um, started getting ready for the day and Mason woke up and came out and sat on the couch next to me and uh, we were just having a quiet moment there together and he, Jen's Bible was still out and he picked up uh, the Bible and just o- opened it um, and he opened to the, the Gospel of John. And so I was, we were talking about like what the different Gospels are about and how there are stories about Jesus. And uh, there was a page with, with red words on it. I was like, do you know what the red words are? He was like, I, I don't know. I was like, well, that's where Jesus is speaking. And he goes, he asked this little question. So, so Jesus is speaking today? And I was like, "Yeah, man, <laughs> yes, Jesus is speaking today. That is a question that ought to uh, that I think that will stick that little moment will stick with me forever. Yes, Jesus is speaking today, and we get a chance to to hear what Jesus is saying, not just through the Gospels but through uh, through the letters of Paul and we're uh, on to ephesians four so if you haven't already." Turn your way to Ephesians four, and as you do that, I'm just—I'm going to pray for us. Lord, uh, thank you that you um, come and meet us here. Um, thank you for the grace that it is to um, have the privilege of meeting together. Uh, thank you that. Um, as we just sang together that your spirit is here um, and active and ready to move among us. Um, regardless of where we've come from this week, actually in light of where we've come from this week, because of where we've come from this week, we need uh, a, a message from you. We need um, a God who speaks and who sees and who cares. Um, Thank you that you are that God, and may we uh, encounter you together this morning. Uh, Give us soft hearts and sharp minds that we might hear and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Ephesians 4. Uh, We officially make the uh, the transition from the first half of the letter to the second half of the letter. And now Ephesians 4 through 6, the last 3 chapters here are all this, a call to live out that which is already true of us. Paul does this in a number of places in his uh, all throughout his letters where he spends a, a good chunk of time talking about theology and doctrine, and then he transitions to talking about practice. It's not that the theology chapters don't have instructions on how to live, and it's not that the practice chapters don't have some measure of theology. Like, there's always some measure of overlap, but Paul does make these sort of uh, transitions at time, and it's a good reminder to us that good theology leads to faithful practice. Good theology is not an academic exercise. It's not just something that the mind gets to engage. Good good and right thinking leads to good and right living. And Paul likes to make those connections for us in those in the places that we don't always see. To this point in the book of Ephesians, Paul has gone to great lengths to talk about the way that the grace of Jesus, the grace of God towards us in Christ, in Christ over and over and over again, is, ought to be the animating feature of our life. How so? It brings life to dead people. It brings life from death. It brings unity in the midst of division. God's grace is up to things that, that we couldn't possibly imagine on our own. That's what God's work is doing time and time again. And now verses chapters four through six are a call to participate in that very work. Not through something that we conjure on our own, but through living out that which is already true of you. You have been unified, now go be a unified people. So, today we're going to take a look at the first 16 verses of chapter 4, of Ephesians chapter 4. Let's begin here in verse 1. Paul begins in the same way that he began, chapter 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul does not take lightly the call to obedience. He says, "I urge you," is a, it's a word that Paul a word and its synonyms that Paul likes to use all throughout his letters. Paul is um, not anxious, but eager for his people, for the people under his care, to take what they know and get it into their lives. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. And, and we, we talked about in the very first week, uh, uh, Ephesians 1. This idea of calling, or this sort of, um, this idea that, that God has called some, he has called his people, set aside his particular people, what we like to do is turn that into some philosophical debate of who has God picked and who has God not picked. And we saw right from the very beginning of the letter that Paul is not interested in such discussions. When Paul talks about calling, about predestining, about choosing, it's always connected to character. God calls so that we can be a certain kind of people. God sets aside a group to be a blessing to all. That is what God is up to when he is calling. And Paul is saying here, we talked about that calling a whole lot for three chapters. Now go live worthy of that calling. And this word live here, it's peripateo in, in Greek, which is a verb that just means to walk, to walk around. And it gets translated a bunch in the New Testament as the word to live because those are kind of synonymous ideas. The, the, the things that we walk in are synonymous with the ways that we live. And when we are very comfortable, we're very uh, familiar with the, uh, the, uh, the concept of walking with God, right? Walking with God. That, the whole like, life of faith is described as walking with God uh, in many different contexts. And sometimes we can use that language without really thinking carefully about how significant it is that our life of faith is a walk. It's not a sit It's not a stand, but it's also not a sprint. It's not passive. It takes some work to put one step in front of the other and to keep doing that. But the beauty of putting one step in front of the other at this pace is that you can go a long, long way when it's just one foot in front of the other. And one of the things that we sometimes do when we hear, when we get into these super practical chapters from Paul here saying, here, you should do this, you should do this, you should be paying attention to this. And one of the things that we can tend to do is say, all right, I'm going to try to do all of that all at once. And walking is never an all everything all at once sort of activity. It's a one step at a time sort of activity. We cannot take tomorrow's steps today. The life of faith is a walking, a slow, steady plodding. We, we can't get to, we, when we get obsessed with destinations, walking feels frustrating, right? When we get obsessed with where we're trying to get, it is tempting to want to run, I guess running is more tempting to some than others, but you know, (laughs) it kind of depends on your. But when we get when we get so fixated on where I want to be, where I want us to be, it walking takes patience. It takes a long time. It also takes the exact right amount of time. Walk in a manner or live worthy of this high calling that you have received. Don't ever forget that it is a gift. Paul uses One of the things I've been struck by in reading through Ephesians is how often Paul uses gift language. Like just a reminder that this is all something that, that we have been given first and foremost and now we are we're recipients of a gift. We're not just supposed to sit there and unwrap it and just be happy about the gift. We're supposed to go do something with it. So here's Paul's first instruction. I urge you to be, to, to be ones who walk in this calling, who take daily little steps in this calling by, by doing what? Be completely humble and gentle. Whew. Talk about a disposition that is not... Um, that, that's a walk. It's a walk to get to, to humility and to, to gentleness, right? There is no quick answer for learning how to be a humble person. Hum- humility being um, deferential honor. Just treating others with, um, with deference. P- putting others above yourself. That is, talk about not a cultural thing that we like to do. A me first society as a whole a lot of difficulty with deferential honor to to another humility is important because it stands at odds with pride which so many great thinkers theologians spiritual writers over the centuries have have placed pride at the at the top or maybe the bottom of like the the issues that are that lead to every other issue. Pride is the vice that leads to every other vice, is the way C.S. Lewis says it, and many others like him say. Pride is the thing that undoes so much. If we are not humble, if we cannot put another above ourselves, then then how are we ever going to to grow in holiness? How are we ever going to grow in maturity? How are we ever going to get to unity if we are not first in a posture of deference towards one another? Be completely humble and gentle, which at the time, uh, <laughs> the philosopher uh, Aristotle said, <laughs> said this of gentleness. He described it as not as timidity or weakness, but rather as the position between excessive anger and a lack of anger. The position between excessive anger and a lack of anger. Excessive anger, uh, which we do super well today in our outraged society, right? Uh, we are encouraged to work. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. That's something that we will, we will hear uh, regularly. And there's a nugget of that that's important, right? Because we should be paying attention and there ought to be things that break our heart. It's not good to be over here on the side where we're just not angry about anything. That's not okay. It's not good to be unplugged. It's not good to be unengaged, to be disengaged. It's not good to be unbothered. That's not the call of the Christian life. We ought to be bothered by some things, but we should not be overcome by them. Gentleness is is that strong position, actually, of being able to handle difficult issues with care. With great, great care. You know how you do that? Humility. Humility and gentleness pair together nicely. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient. One of the quickest signs in my own heart uh, that things are off in my inner life is when I get angry quickly. That is, um, that is signal number one to me that um, I, need, I, I need some time. <laughs> I, need, uh, I need some help. I need healing. Patient, bearing with one another in love. This phrase in love is going to mark our entire passage today. And this is the whole goal. If we hear nothing else, the call to unity, yes. The call to maturity, yes. But it all has to be in this context of love. And this is why Paul spends three chapters saying, Here's the magnificent of love of Jesus for you. Now go live in that love. Be marked by that love. Not all at once, but a little bit more each day. Walk into that love a little bit more each day. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort. Remember, it's not a passive thing. It's a gift we've been given, but make every effort to keep the unity. Keep the unity. You don't, we don't create unity. Unity is what has happened because of the work of Christ. Christ is that thing that has broken down every barrier. Paul goes to great lengths in chapters 2 and 3 to say, here is the marvelous work that God has done to bring together people groups that we wouldn't have, at a human level, we would not have said those two groups can get together. Those two groups can get along. But through the cross, through the work of Christ, Christ has made that unity possible. He has already created it. It's not something we have to conjure on our own. It's something that we are called to then just live into, make every effort to keep the unity. Because if we don't make every effort, well, we know the result, right? The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And here's, there's a handful of virtues that, that Paul talks about in these opening verses of, of chapter 4. And they, they all point us to the fact that uh, virtues take a village. There, there is no such thing as um, humility on an island. <laughs> right. There's no gentleness outside of the context of relationship. Gentleness has to be expressed towards another. Humility has to be deference towards another. Patience is exhibited with ourselves, no doubt, but with, ultimately, another. Virtues take a village. It takes time together to develop these. These have to happen in the context of community. Virtues require community. Paul continues, verse 4, and here we get It really just seems like it's it's not terribly clear exactly where Paul gets these few verses, but it sounds like he's adopting some sort of early creed and is working that into a creed, just being a bringing together and a synthesizing and a distilling of the basic things that are believed. We get the Apostles' Creed, which is one of the one of the more famous, the Nicene Creed. These these historic documents through through the ages that kind of put all in one place, consolidate in one place what, uh, what we believe. We all have creeds, um, and Paul is bringing one uh, to bear here just in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. A reminder that the unity that we are called to to live out has already been created. One God, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. It's a it's a unifying creed at the at the end of a call to uh, be a unified people. And then he sort of shifts tones in verse, in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Again, grace as a gift. This is why it says, and Paul only uses this phrase a couple of times when he's introducing Old Testament quotes. Paul's using the Old Testament all the time. Sometimes he quotes it, sometimes he just alludes to it. But there's only a couple points where he uses this particular phrase. This is why it says... Uh, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people, which is Psalm sixty-eight eighteen 18, uh, mostly. Uh, Paul changes some words here. Paul likes to take Old Testament texts and ideas and reinterpret them in light of Jesus. They, they had their own like good and true and faithful meaning in their particular context when they were originally written and, and shared, and that's wonderful. And Paul says, look what it now means in light of Jesus. Psalm 68 is this passage about God being king of the universe and being the one who conquers those who, um, who do wickedness in the world, being the one who is at odds ultimately with those who are at odds with the down and out. And Paul says, that's what Jesus is up to. That sort of conquering work is what Jesus is up to. And then he explains himself, and I'll let you be the judge uh, as to whether he um, did a good job of explaining or maybe not. Uh, what, What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. A whole lot of words to say Jesus descended to earth and then ascended back to heaven. <laughs> we, uh, if if this if these three verses were like. Part of a, part of a paper that I'm grading as a professor, I like I take points off on a couple points, but overall, <laughs> overall, we've got this is this is a good this is a good reminder that Jesus um, Jesus came to give the gift of grace to his people, but that gift language continues, uh, and here's and here's the more significant piece of this gift. In verse, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip. The, the point here is not so much on the various gifts that are given, but the point behind the gifts. The, the point in this passage is that the people are supposed to be equipped, to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. This is all moving towards unity and maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is not about a, a top-down um, God gives the gifts of like the paid staff members to the church so that they can equip everybody else to, uh, to do the work of ministry. Uh, one commentator said, This passage is not promoting a hierarchical structure as would later characterize a church, for each of the ministers takes part in the integrated whole of the church. Each one... Does their part. For further evidence that this is the broader point of the passage, just go to the end of verse 16, which ends with as each one does its own work. Each, one, each part is doing its job. And Westside, you are an example of this. Each one doing its own part so that the, the community can be healthy, so that the community can th- thrive. As I was reflecting on this passage this week, I, I was I was just struck for a moment by the fact that that God supernaturally stitches together the weirdest like groups of people, the weirdest combos of people, and and then we call those churches. God, in in His infinite wisdom, puts together the exact gifts that each body needs in order to be equipped to go out and live this stuff out in a full and faithful way. And So the, the question for each of us at, in this context is, what are my gifts and how am I using them? What are my gifts? How am I using them? God has gifted each and every individual in particular and specific in beautiful ways. How are we, how are we involved? How are we getting involved in the work that God is already doing? You don't have to conjure something cool and unique on your own. Like you just participate in what God is already doing. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This is not in any way supposed to be an exhaustive list. He's just kind of throwing out a few examples. The reality is that, I mean, there are other passages, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, there's other other places where Paul kind of goes into a more extensive list, but even those aren't comprehensive necessarily. He's just saying, like, God has gifted his church in so many unique ways. The manifold, like, diversity of who God is is on display in the various gifts that he puts in a particular community. What a cool way to see God. And finally, our final... Three verses here, and boy, do we need these. The end of verse 13 encouraged us towards unity and maturity. Verse 14 then we will no longer be infants, no longer be the immature Does its work. Paul says when it comes to the way that we hold um, truth, when it comes to the way that we um, hold on to what we believe and cherish, there are two marks of immaturity to avoid. And one sort of on either, either side, pitfalls on either side of a, of a balanced, like, good, tension-holding position. One, the first mark of maturity is an undervaluing of truth. Paul says, don't be the kind of person that's tossed back and forth by waves. The person who is blown here and there by every wind of teaching. The person who, hear, who just hears a new idea and just because it's new it must be true and good. Right? And by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. There are people out there trying to deceive. Don't be naive to it. Don't be naive to it. But also don't, don't take some wishy-washy approach to that which you believe. Uh, eh, I don't know, I don't care, is is not a helpful posture. It's not a mature posture when it comes to faith. It's not that we all have to have um, highly nuanced uh, opinions on each and every theological issue. That's not at all the case. What he's saying is know what you believe. Don't get get thrown about by every time something changes in your life or every time a new idea gets introduced to you. Don't let that throw the ship. Don't let that capsize you. There is something good and beautiful and secure about holding on to the belief in Jesus as Lord. That ship does not capsize. So don't first, don't undervalue truth. Don't take a wishy-washy approach to what you believe. Like, care about it. But also, the other mark of immaturity is this insensitively communicating truth. One side doesn't care all that much or doesn't care enough. And one side cares so much that they don't care what you think when they say what they believe to be true. Uh, In general, an overemphasis on uh, the cognitive, a sort of a -a brains-on-a-stick view of humanity uh, leads us to think that just winning arguments or having good ideas is tantamount to faithfulness to Jesus. And that uh, is just not the way Scripture, Jesus, ever talks about the faith. It's not a matter of winning arguments. It's a matter of caring for people. The, the orienting term, the orienting phrase in this whole passage is in love. Speak the truth in love. As Christians, we're the sort of people, we don't just care about what is being said. We do care about what is being said. We're not the wishy-washy. We're not the blown, blown about by the wind people. We, we do care about what is being said, but we also care about how it is being said. It is so dangerous when we, when we start to follow figures and influencers and voices who, who lead us to believe that um, our society is ultimately at a at a lack for facts for truth. Uh, there are. Um, Without naming names, there are figures who have become uh, famous for things like "facts don't care about your feelings." Um, okay, sure, but Jesus does. Yeah. When we let <sighs> this is not easy to <laughs> to do, right? when over time we come to this position and I I just like see it more and more and it, it freaks me out a little bit. I've seen Christians time and time again, going, well, I don't like the way that they say that, but I like what's being said. No, that is not what we are about. We are about what is being said and how it is being said. It is not just the truth, it is the truth in love. Truth without love is not truth marked by Christ. It is not. And over time, truth without love becomes less and less truthful. Like, we get away from facts. When we get excited about our little, like, stuff, when we, get, when we get on our little hobby horse and just want people to hear that hobby horse again and again and again, and we get further and further from the love, then that little hobby horse starts galloping away, away from the pack. Truth in love. Truth marked by humility, marked by deference towards another, thinking how could this be received? Truth marked by gentleness, not an over-angry or not an under-angry, but just a, a balanced, like I care about the issues and I care about you. Truth marked by patience. Truth marked by love. This is the call of Christ, we we are, we don't want to be in the camp of not caring about truth. And sometimes, like we, there are there are large like swaths of, of culture today that just because an idea is new, like they, they, it's just kind of accepted. If if an idea is more than fifteen minutes old, like that's that's what they're going for. And and that is not, that's not what we're talking about. Hold on to Jesus as Lord and figure out how to say that in love. So there's two marks of immaturity and the mark of maturity in the midst of all that is is simply this. Every realm of our lives increasingly marked by love. Not by right opinions, but by love. And this should sound a little bit overwhelming. Every realm increasingly marked by love? Yes, that. Difficult, but, but remember, one step at a time. It's a walk. It's not everything, everywhere, all at once. It's a fun movie, by the way. It's every realm. It's, it's the fact that the love of Christ permeates every last little thing. Every last little thing that you think about from work to relationship to hobby to whatever it is. The love of Jesus is interested in that. Jesus is interested in that stuff and wants to mark it all. Everything we think, everything we desire. Every little thing being marked by love. And this is the way... Paul says we grow up into maturity. The mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And so, uh, similar to uh, last week where we took a, took a look back before we took a look forward, I want to, to end with uh, kind of three questions all just having to do with where are we at in this growing in love thing? Where have I grown in love? Where am I where have I learned? Where have I developed? Where have I, I matured over time? What group of people or what what relationship am I better at right now than I was? a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Celebrate that. That is the mark of Jesus working in your life. Don't, don't get so eager about uh, the uh, or weighed down with where to go next that we forget where God has already marked us. I am a more loving person now, not because of what I can conjure on my own, but because of the work of Jesus. Where have I grown? Where am I currently growing? What's the stuff? What's the daily, like, Am I going to choose love in this moment or not? And then, where's, where's the next horizon? Where's the next opportunity? Where's the next place to grow? Where have we come from? Where are we? And similar to what we talked about last week, like, are we going to let the grace of Jesus shape our imaginations? Because we need that desperately in this Realm, right? To be reminded, um, there's work yet to do. In the midst of this beautiful letter on the overwhelming grace of God in places that we absolutely would not imagine it. First and foremost, our hearts, right? The place that God comes and does that beautiful work. In the midst of that, Paul is saying, go, I urge you, go live this out. Be worthy of this high call. Go, make every single effort out of a place of security, uh, the security of the love of God. May we be people who live worthy of that calling. Let's pray. Jesus... um, we want it. Uh, we want it so badly. Uh, we want to live worthy of this calling, and then, uh, and then it's Tuesday. All of a sudden, and we're like, just like in the midst of the busyness, and distracted by a thing, thrown off the course. Uh, would you, by your Spirit, and by your great grace? Uh, go with us this week. Would you uh, be reminding us of the ways that you have grown us into deeper love, the places that you are currently working us in, and may you show us, by your grace, where it is you want us to be. Um, Thank you that unity is already true of us because of you. Would you give us um, the patience and the humility and the gentleness to live into that with one another? Um, and thank you that you do not leave us uh, in an uh, in an immature place but call us always towards maturity in you go with us this week in jesus name